I'm Mason Toy, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm Steve McPherson. I'm here with Colin Williams. Let's begin with the U.S. Women's National Team game. I'm going straight to the soccer because we got a lot of different soccer things to discuss. So um, it was my first game as a civilian at Allianz Field, and it was uh, it was nice. It was uh, it was great to take in uh, more or less a whole game. Unfortunately, uh, my party, we left in the 81st minute, one minute before, uh, the, uh, Haran's terrific header. So just missed out on that. Um, uh, but it, great to watch a whole game from one spot in the stadium, uh, sort of take it in. Uh, I got some popcorn, uh, which yeah. is the same popcorn we get in the, in the, the press area. Actually, I was explaining to my wife that we have this essentially on tap. Um, <laughs> and so that's very dangerous. Uh, it's, 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 uh, I, basically any form of popcorn. I will just continue eating until my stomach explodes like a pigeon eating rice after a wedding. So, um, it was not as good as a Minnesota United game. I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, I mean, I think being an exhibition is, is obviously it's, it's a step down, but, I think it's a real testament to the supporters, first of all, and secondly, just the fans in general. I I think that the supporters drive it, but I think the fans are responsive, and I think we've said this many times before. I think over the course of the season, they've really rounded into shape, and you really feel the ebb and flow of the game uh, with the supporters and with the atmosphere in the stadium. Now, that was always going to be a little different. Obviously, the U.S. dominated Portugal, which was sort of expected. And so it was sort of fun. It was a little like watching the Harlem Globetrotters. Uh, certainly at times, you know, you saw um, uh, the defense all the way up into, <laughs> into the into uh, Portugal's final third, you know. So, uh, but it was, it was definitely a fun time. Uh, you also attended the game as a civilian. What was your uh, experience? Yep, great experience. Always great to see the world champions. And they were firmly dominant as to be expected. I was fortunate enough to be invited up into, the, uh, into one of the suites uh, for the opening 45. Um, so I did that, enjoyed that with some of the, the Minnesota United staff. Um, and second half, I, I watched it with a friend of mine um, down in, in a, a, as you would describe it, a civilian seat. Um, so, uh, yeah, great experience. I, I always, um, that there are two things, two overriding emotions every time I watch a game in the stadium. Number one is I'm absurdly jealous that our fan base get to do this and hang out in this environment uh, almost every, uh, every weekend or every other weekend at the very least. Um, and second of all, there is an overriding sense of, of um, I, I don't feel like I belong here. Um, sure. This is strange. I feel like I should be doing something. <laughs> yes. Just watching yeah. a game. There's a bit of a back. busman's holiday quality to it, it's right? strange. So. <laughs> kicking back, having a little drink of some sort and enjoying company and, and just watching football. It just feels very, very strange. Uh, yeah. Slightly uncomfortable, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to turn off my natural impulse, which is to look at the play and think, okay, well then this happens. And then how does this link up with this? Cause you know, in, in my head, most of the time I'm writing a recap as I'm mm-hmm. going. And so I'm sort of taking notes and assessing, you know, is this a significant moment of play? Is the, is there a momentum shift and, and all this stuff. And I can just sort of, I can just sort of turn that off. I am really looking, it also impressed upon me that I'm really looking forward to fall 
football mm. uh, of of the non-American type. Uh, <laughs> just because the it was a breezy evening and sitting outside and it's a little cool, it really took me back to watching minor league baseball, um, which I've you know I'd seen a, a lot of major league games, but I think um, the feeling of being there, the, the minor league-ness of it, it was just that, like, we watched a lot of minor league games. When we went to a major league game, it was like, I grew up three hours from any major league team. So if we went to Fenway, it was an entire trip. We had a minor league baseball team in Pittsfield, which was about half an hour from where I grew up. So we went to a lot of minor league games. And that feeling of, like, something that's in your backyard and you can go to sort of all the time. It, like, I love that feeling because it, it just – it's a little casual um, and – from when I'm working, I have a great view from, from the box that we have, but it's sort of removed from everything. And so to just be sitting in the stands on a beautiful night with the lights down near the field, really, really just, I just find myself sitting there all the time going like, this is so nice. Like, yeah. This is just, it's just a very pleasant place to be. Sometimes it's difficult for us, isn't it? Because we, we work for the club, we work in football. Sometimes it's difficult to sort of take ourselves out of it. And, and yeah. when we get the rare opportunity to do so, um, it's, it's, as I insinuated earlier on, mixed with, with a sprinkling of different emotions, but but ultimately it is very nice just yeah. to be able to sit back and actually just watch the game flow, um, and, and particularly to, to watch the quality of, of the world champions as well. Um, we're very fortunate you don't get to do that very often. Yeah. Um, you know, I, we don't know when we'll see them again. I'm right. assuming that both the men and the women will, will return to Allianz Field at some stage because they've all said lovely things about the stadium as they should do um, and the environment within the walls of it as well. Um, but yeah, it, it is just at times very nice just to sit back and actually engage in a conversation with somebody about the game that, sure. that doesn't necessarily have to turn into a debate or, yeah. or you know, um, an argument or what, what have you. Um, so yeah, it was a, a thoroughly pleasant experience. Um, and uh, well, what I will say as well... Um, is uh, it was it was just lovely to see so many uh, so many kids out there as well. Absolutely, um, you know uh, who have clearly been um, influenced and, and found. Um, you know, I, I would argue a lot of a lot of the players out on the fields um, on Tuesday evening would would be viewed as heroes for for a lot of these young people, and Absolutely. Um, and, and and as they should be as well um, for a lot of older people as well. So just a, a, a thoroughly pleasant experience, Stephen, and one that um, that I enjoyed far too much. Yeah, I had a uh, I had a lovely conversation with a gentleman next to me, an older gentleman who was very impressed with 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 everything. Um, sort of, I could sort of hear him making comments to his wife about like you know how impressively athletic you know certain moves or plays were, and how it's just wonderful to watch. And uh, but you know, asking questions about like how many. He asked me how many substitutions there were, you know, and I said, I, you know, at the time I, I hadn't, they made a couple of substitutions and I was like, you know, international friendlies, it could be, they could just let them substitute yeah. however many they want, but usually, you know, six, something like, which I think is what they played with was six subs. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then he was like, well, how many are there in a regular game? And I was like, well, you know, th three, he was like three mm -hmm. per half. I was like, no, three. Mm -hmm. He was like, well, that's not very many. It's not like, you know, you're switching people in and out. I was like, no, it's like, it's a huge decision to make those moves, you know? So yeah. I, you know, and again, it was just a nice conversation about soccer, Yeah, you know, with, with, with uh, a gentleman sitting next to me. So let's, um, let's talk about LAFC though, this game against LAFC. Um, just not what I was expecting. <laughs> let's start there. Let's get your thoughts first. Cause I have some other things, some things I want to say, but like, I, you know, we'll get around to talking a little bit more about now the path to the playoffs. We talked about it last week. This is sort of the, the season we're in now is talking about this. I, never in my wildest dreams was I expecting to get anything out of this game, even with Carlos Vela not playing. So, Hey, how's money? <laughs> it was the most 
um, I would argue, tactically impressive display that I've seen from Minnesota United since they've come into Major League Soccer. I, I think the coaching staff got it absolutely right. And no doubt, as as you do in every game, they rode their luck a little bit. Manone had to make some good saves. Yeah. Um, but I thought individually as well, some of the performances were, were absolutely outrageous. I thought Brent Coleman gave Adrian Heath a, a real decision to make moving forward. I thought uh, Boxall and Opara was sublime. Um, I, uh, I thought Roma Metanier ran his socks off. I thought Hassani Dotson was a monster in midfield. Absolutely. Um, Gregush did well when called upon as well. Um, and obviously Mason Toy finished um, two absolutely perfect goals, um, which I'm sure we'll get into later on. But yep. um, yeah, just, just a thoroughly satisfying um, evening for, for Minnesota United. And um, I've fielded a couple of texts from from people uh, around Major League Soccer straight after the game. And um, the, the overriding thoughts um, and opinion was, wow, you, you guys are the real deal, aren't you? You, yeah. you know how to, to win at certain places. And, and, and Jeremy Watson made a very good point on the broadcast, actually, Steve, about how now I would expect and he would expect LAFC to to be uh, defeated a couple of more times now at home because I think... The way that Adrian approached it, he set the footprint on how to at least get something from Bank of California Stadium. Um, they were so defensively disciplined. Um, the back five, um, when they merged into a back five, were, were tremendous, as I say. And Manone made the saves that he needed to as well. So, um, and it's funny because everybody has said, oh, you know, well, they, they didn't have Carlos Vela. I understand that. But they did have arguably the best player that's come out of Uruguay uh, over the course of the last few years in, in um, Brian Rodriguez on the right-hand side who came off at half-time because he didn't have much success. He, mm -hmm. he did well and he caused Mwimbe to have problems, no doubt about it, but I didn't think he was, sub he was sublime. I, I thought he was very good. Um, but LAFC had, had him, LAFC had Diego Rossi, Adama Diamande, Edward Atuesta. They had a myriad of, of first-team players who have been uh, beyond impressive this season. Minnesota United were without Ozzy Alonso. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, let's not forget that. Um, said is likely the season MVP either here or Igo Parra, basically, at this point. Right. So. And um, so it's not like Minnesota United had a, a full roster to choose from as well. So our, Sorry, our season MVP. I don't mean the MVP. Yes, yes. I, I mean, like, mean. for the Loons. Okay, I just wanted to make that clear before anybody <laughs> jumps down my throat. And says, um, yes. So, look, uh, thoroughly impressive, uh, and, and I think I might have said um, elsewhere... Um, I, I can't think of a more impressive regular season win for Minnesota United uh, since coming into Major League Soccer. Yeah, I think that I, I really want to give um, Adrian Heath his tactical due here um, because obviously no single game is a referendum on a coach. I mean, it's it's an entire season. Um, but, you know, if, if, if people are calling for his being fired after losing to Atlanta in the Open Cup final and then want to say, oh, well, they got lucky – like, that's not fair. You know, if you think about the tactical adjustments that were made by Heath and the staff, I think it was exactly the right move to make for Minnesota United as well as for playing LAFC, I think, mm -hmm. at that moment. And also to call back to Minnesota United's ability to solve San Jose's man-marking scheme earlier on in the season when people were saying nobody can f solve this. You know, like – Two wins against San Jose as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think there's, I think there's, there's due to be given to 
to the tactical adjustments that have been made that I think is not always given. Um, and I think that one thing that I noticed, I wrote a little bit about this uh, on the website, but um, not only going heavily defensive, I mean, we talked about this is a, a 5-3-2 or a 3-5-2. It played a lot more like a 5-3-2. Like yes. there was, you didn't see, I mean, obviously there were opportunities for Mohamed Tarat and Metnir to get four, but you just didn't see them bombing up the field. It was, it was fairly defensive. The team um, recently, you know, there's been a little bit of attack, stagnation in the attack, you know, and I sort of found myself wondering if, you know, there, there's been times before where um, it, to preserve a lead, a lead, adding in an extra defender, suddenly that creates confusion in the back and there's too many people. And, and Adrian has talked about this in after those games saying, you know, sometimes you put too many people back there and guys don't have assignments and they think it's enough to just to be there. Mm. And then you, you lose people and there's sort of confusion and things like that. I think there might've been an element of that happening on the offensive end um, for the team in the last several weeks where, you know, the other teams were taking away the middle. And so it was like, well, now we've got, you know, fullbacks pushing up, wingers tucking inside, you know, a forward. We've got the number 10 out there. We're just sending balls in. And we talked about like, oh, maybe there should be somebody else in there. Maybe you get Jan Gregus like coming in from, from midfield and things like that. It, this almost says the answer is fewer people, <laughs> you know, like, and, and obviously it's, it's, I think it was very specific to uh, LAFC and their aggressiveness. I mean, you yeah. can't play on level terms with them across the field. You pack it in. And then when you take those opportunities to spring forward, you put it in the hands of Darwin Quintero or, you know, Molino in the second half um, and Mason Toy and allow them to make decisions out there. And they have to, it puts the right amount of pressure on them, you know, like to do what they need to do to get those results. And obviously a tremendous game from, from Mason Toy specifically um, with those finishes, but it, it kind of opened up a bunch of space. You saw LAFC. I watched back a little bit, you know, you saw some defenders sort of defending swaths of space rather than guys. And then just getting overrun by Mason toy, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it sort of left them floating around rather than sort of everybody marking somebody else in the box where everybody's got an assignment. And then everybody's just kind of gummed up in there. I thought it, that was interesting to me. It seemed like it was great to go heavily defensive because they also had to defend for their lives for a lot of the second half. But I think it opened up the offense in some ways as well. Well, a lot of that, Steve, comes from Mason Toy stretching the back line. Yeah. Um, and, and the runs that he made. And there was a lot of um, a lot of route one from, um, particularly from um, uh, Moimbe Tarats. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and Mason did ever so well to, to stretch. And, and you notice Dharma Quintero had a, had a lot of the ball in the opening 45 as well. Um, because, again, of, of Mason stretching big time. Um, and uh, the one play which, which um, I... I um, neglected to, to give any praise to, and I should give myself a slap on the wrist um, for not doing so. Um, Lawrence Olam, um, I, mm -hmm. I don't recall him losing the ball at all. And you bring in somebody like Lawrence Olam for games like this, for away games, difficult games, where it, it's vital that you keep the ball. Yeah. And, you know, Lawrence Olam will, will never do anything... Um, outlandish he won't ever do anything extremely flashy he's not that type of player he's a firmly settled central midfielder who will do the basics very well and will keep a hold of the ball when you need to so I, I thought Lawrence Olam's inclusion in the 11 w was a surprise to a lot of people it was only his fourth start in Major League Soccer to my opinion uh, to my knowledge rather um, this season but 
he's come on so many times for Minnesota United in the last sort of 10 minutes of games and just really kept the ball and calmed things down. There is a, a calmness to Lawrence Olam, um, whether it's on the field or off the field, actually. If you've had yeah. a conversation with him, he is a very calm individual. He's a chill guy. He's great. Um, so <laughs> I, I think um, credit where credit's due, I thought Lawrence Olam probably had his best game for Minnesota United that day. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, um, going back to the original point, uh, Mason was, was extraordinary um, and his runs off the ball really caused LAFC a load of issues. Um, let's not forget as well, it's Segura and Zimmerman two centre-halves that have been um, barely um, untouchable throughout the entirety of the campaign. Sure. Um, we, we have said several times on this very podcast, haven't we, that Segura could very well be a dark horse for Defender of the Year across Major League Soccer. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I thought Jordan Harvey struggled big time over on the, the left-hand side, and he got taken off at halftime, of course, um, for LAFC. Um, and Blackmon as well had had issues dealing with, um, with Toy, and I just think Mason Toy's persistence caused LAFC a real issue um, and obviously LAFC had to to bring an element of stability into the centre of midfield as well and they did that at half time by bringing on Mark anthony Kay um, and LAFC looked a lot more solidified and looked a much better unit in the second half because of the players that they brought on mm-hmm. but in the opening 45 minutes Minnesota United took advantage of the, the space that was created through their own doing um, and it was just a, a fabulous performance Steve and, and one that I think we should celebrate for a while for sure yeah let's uh, let's touch on Mason Toy this is a little out of order but I'm just trying to follow your, your you know your lead here with uh, we you t- touched on Toy and obviously everybody's talking about him um, I heard you say this with a lot of qualifications, which is fair, and I think you know you have to understand that he's you're talking about 500 MLS minutes. You're going to ask me about Thierry Henry. I'm going to ask you about Thierry Henry. Yeah. Um, there is, I think, it's fair to say there is a bit of Thierry Henry to his game. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, in not necessarily a quantifiable way, but a qualitative way. I think in uh, you know, there's a real you're seeing it now. You didn't see it last year. The couple times he he, he played, you know, and, and even early on this season, you didn't see it as much. But you're seeing now like a real sort of grace and fluidity to how he moves and and attacks, but also combined with like directness. Um, he's not beating guys off off the dribble or things like that. But it's it's you see him step around tackles, you know, like these these little these little moves that long stride. Um, and he's scoring these, I mean, he's obviously scoring terrific goals, both left-footed finishes. Uh, I guess I believe he has three left-footed goals and three right-footed goals, so he's showing he can do it with either foot. Um, I think, you know, when you see him start to add some of those, just those, like, simple goals, those, you know, he's had, a, uh, you know, some of them have been a little more close to goal, but, like, those poaching goals, being in the right place at the right time, as that sort of rounds out his arsenal, it's, he's just going to be very dangerous. What, what kind of tier do you see him in in MLS as he develops, obviously there's a lot of possibilities here. Every player has sort of a ceiling, you know, there's what they could possibly become There's what you think they're going to end up as uh, people can get off that track. But, you know, thinking of current MLS players and where those, you know, there's sort of, you think of Zlatan and you think of Joseph Martinez at that sure. top end of, of forwards um, as, as, you know, pure scoring forwards. Like where do you see, where do you see toy sort of sliding in as he grows? At the moment, he's at the, the very peak of, of whatever the list is for potential. Yeah. Um, I can't think of a more exciting young American center forward in Major League Soccer right now. Um, it, it, that's a very interesting question, Steve, because we, we have seen him grow um, tremendously fast over the last couple of months compared to his previous 18 months as a professional. Yeah. Um, he, everything has just seemed to click over the, the last couple of months. Um, 
I think right now um, he he's um, he's a, he's obviously attracting a lot of eyeballs um, across MLS because he's he's doing well, quite rightly so. Um, I I still wouldn't put him near the top end though. Um, no. yeah. He's got a lot of learning to do. Um, excuse me. I think he. Um, I I think um, the 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 thing that will be very interesting to see with Mason Toy, and, and, and I suspect this won't be an issue for him because of the people he has around him and because of the, the way he holds himself. As long as he remained disciplined with himself, I don't see any issues at all. Um, he he may very well give Adrian Heath uh, a decision to make in the off-season. Um, I, I wonder if, if they feel as though he is enough to go throughout the entirety of the season. Sure. I wonder if he'll be viewed as the number one next season if he carries on um, on the trajectory that he's on. Um, maybe that's another debate for another day, but... Um, yeah, you've unlocked a whole coast of questions <laughs> I now have in my head that I'm thinking about it, yeah. Um, but look, I, I, what, what I will say about him is, uh, um, uh, and I, I, by no means am I comparing him to Thierry Henry, Um I just think there are certain elements of his game that look very similar. Right. And when I say look similar, more than anything, Steve, I'm talking about his body shape. Mm -hmm. If you go back to the, the game winner against Portland in the Open Cup semi-final, a very, very Thierry Henry-esque goal. Yeah, absolutely. And then the two goals against LAFC were very, very Thierry Henry as well. If you go back and watch tape on Henry, uh, particularly during his days at Arsenal, um, they are the types of goals that he would score. Mm -hmm. Now, there's there's other things that obviously uh, he needs to work on to continue this comparison and and to um, perhaps expand it a bit more. Um, I would love to see Mason Toy uh, score a headed goal. Um, sure. I think that would be um, uh, again another string to to his bow. He's big. He's athletic. You know, Adrian has talked about how he jumps out of the gym. Gym. I guess that's what you say for basketball players. He jumps oh, gym, out yeah. of the. the Pitch the oh sorry right yeah the training <laughs> facility anyways okay okay so anyways yeah he he's got hops um, yes um and and then also um I, and this is the thing I wonder now I wonder what's going to happen during his off season I wonder what the coaching staff are going to say to him are yeah. they going to say to him we need you to bulk up a little bit sure on, on uh, from the upper body point of view um do they shy away from that because obviously the more muscle you build the the slower you you usually become. Right. But I think it's okay to build up a little bit of muscle. Sure. And to add another element to his game. So, um, I mean, he's also 20, which is correct. ludicrous. Yes. Right. So the idea is, you know, I mean, you're not even just through naturally working his body, you would imagine more muscle mass coming on. Correct. Like, yes. So. That's a very good point. Yeah. Um, but he, he has the potential to be a superstar. No doubt yeah. about it. He, he has every tool in the book, but but also, I think it is important. Let's let's just temper expectations, as you said yeah. quite rightly. He's twenty years old, yes, um, and and let's just let him play and enjoy his football. Yeah, and and I'm delighted for him. I think he's in the perfect place because not only will he more than likely in 2020 he'll play a lot of first team minutes again. Mm -hmm. He will continue to learn under uh, a, a coach who has a track record of producing very good centre forwards, and and reads the game. Um, very, very well, uh, and reads it like a centre-forward for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and also, he's been called up to the U23s for the national team now, which um, I'm intrigued to see how that goes. I I'm really looking forward to watching that game. Yeah. Um, obviously, alongside Hassani Dotson as well, who, who is more than worthy of a call-up as well. So, um, 
I think Mason Toy is is in the exactly is in the exact right place where he needs to be right now, and yeah. and there's no reason why this trajectory can't continue upwards. Yeah, uh, I want to give another shout out specifically to Brent Coleman. Uh, I wanted to highlight you mentioned earlier uh, his excellent play, just especially for we've talked about Brent. We've had Brent on the show before. We've talked talked about his just how he's ready. He's always ready. He's always, you know, he's given Adrian a tough choice to make before, and he's done it again, you know, for not playing for weeks and then coming in and just killing it, you yes. know. And it's it's great to have three center backs um, with op- that, the, that kind of solidity there, you know. And a guy like Brent who is understands that, you know, for the team, his most valuable position is coming in at those moments when you need three center backs or when, you know, boxy is away on international duty or Ike is, is, you know, Ike is getting up there in age, you know, he's not going to play necessarily every game in those moments. Like Brent has just stepped in and done his job. And that's just, it's just tremendous. And uh, Brent's great. Constant professional. Um, is always um, giving absolutely everything on the training field. Uh, again, you and I are very fortunate we get to see most training sessions, and he's always um, giving everything he has and more. Um, we'll call people out. Yeah, no, um, he gets into people, which is great, you know. <laughs> um, which, yeah, it is it's great. It, it show, does, show, um, does show an element of, of commitment um, to this club, and, and obviously this is his town. He's from here. He, he wants this team, his team, uh, to do well, and... Um, uh, yeah, because it, it, it's very easy, Steve, to, to switch off if, if you hadn't played a lot of games. You know, the, the game prior to this that he played in was Dallas on August 10th. And then before that, it was a good eight or nine games that he hadn't played in in, in terms of MLS regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to only sort of play a game here and there and to still be as sharp as he is... Um, and to be as fit as he is and, and, and switched on as he is, it's a tremendous credit to him. And, and um, do you know what? I, I, I would wonder, actually, and by no means am I advertising selling Brent Coleman, but uh, if I'm uh, a, an expansion team coming in, I'm really looking oh, at and thinking, you know, wow, what, yeah. what a, an addition that could be. Um, yeah, I but, certainly don't want him to be sold. He's one of my no, favorite guys. No, no, no. And just to talk to him, he's such a great Fabulous dude. individual. And, and look, I mean... Um, he is a luxury to have a player of his ability to, to be um, behind Boxall and, and Opara. It's uh, it's a tremendous uh, luxury for Minnesota United to have. And and look, as I said, he, he's, he's a consistent, constant professional. And Minnesota United are very, very fortunate to have him. Yeah. All right, let's touch briefly on the past of the playoffs, which we did, I feel like, is going to become a recurring <laughs> feature here. Um, so, again, to, to highlight, I was not expecting hardly anything from this LAFC game. We talked about needing at least three wins out of these remaining six games um, and highlighted, you know, the vulnerability of Houston away, you know, they possibly taking one off LAFC at home, you know, things like that. Again, I wasn't even considering the possibility here. Um, But I feel like it's a great opportunity to spring into this Houston game um, with a real sense of urgency that, like, if you can take six points out of of two of the away games that remain, I mean, that's huge. Currently, MNUFC is up to 89% chance of making the playoffs, according to 538.com, which is up something like 20 percentage points from last week, I think. So uh, you see how probabilities work. It's it's, uh, very touchy. do you think this – I'm sure this doesn't really change the math in any way. You still want the team getting everything they can from every game going down the stretch. But it does provide a nice 
a little bit of a cushion in terms of those wins, I think. It, the, the victory at LAFC does provide the teeniest, tiniest amount of breathing space yeah. <laughs> for Minnesota United, no doubt. Um, I, I think, Steve, I don't know what the magic number is going to be. Sure. I really don't. Yeah. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if 58-ish, maybe. Okay. Um, I can see, I think Minnesota United, in my opinion, um, regardless of, of the result in Los Angeles, in, in my opinion, you have to win your remaining home games. Absolutely. Because also going into the playoffs, if you end up hosting, you have momentum at home and everything goes well. So you, you, yeah. you have to win your home games for various different reasons. Yeah. Um, and for what it's worth, I think Minnesota will. Um, but the away games are the tricky ones. Now, Houston Dynamo have had a relatively indifferent season, and I would expect Minnesota to go there and get something. Mm -hmm. The Timbers and the Sounders away are a completely different kettle of fish, um, especially that Seattle game as well, because that's the last day yeah, of the season. Decision day. It, it, it will come down <laughs> to it because seeding will be will be needed to be decided. Yeah. Um, wouldn't it be great if Minnesota United had taken care of business already? Um, but sure. but I but <laughs> I say that, but I just don't think that's possible. Yeah. Because every team around Minnesota United are going to claim victories, um, with with the majority of teams having five or six games to play. Um, as it stands right now, if the season were to end right now, Minnesota would host Dallas at Allianz Field, which yeah. would which in my opinion would probably be about as perfect as it could get. Yeah. Uh, in the postseason. Yeah. Um, but I, there's, <laughs> there's just going to be so many changes, aren't there? I know. Um, and and, and what I will say, Steve, and, and I've said this to several people now, uh, particularly on the uh, the coaching side of things, on the sporting staff side of things, whilst it might not be very good for, for their heart rates, and, and I, I guess I'll put this into the, the um, category of the fans as well, whilst it's not great for your heart rate, as a broadcaster, oh my word, this yeah. is an utter thrill to commentate on right now. This sure. is absolutely magnificent. I've never seen a race as tight as this yeah. um, for postseason prosperity. And um, it, it, it is, it's a joy, it's a thrill because every moment matters so much. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, 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 the wildest of Western Conference rides I've ever seen is only going to get even larger and, and, and more desperate as, yeah. as it goes on you know so i i, I love it steve and, and it's um it, it's amazing to be a part of and what what is what a season this has been for mls by the way yeah just so much drama if you watch the you know the mls puts out those little videos on instagram that show the standings over the course of the season yes. each week you know and so you'll see first of all you just see lafc it's like in the fourth game hits first place and they're just cruising <laughs> but like if you look over the last couple of weeks it's just it's like argyle <laughs> it's like every team is crossing i mean just consider minnesota united going from second to seventh to third is just insane. So, um, yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be nuts. It is tremendous to be involved in the possibility of of the playoffs at this point. I remember thinking back to the the Minnesota United's first season and going into decision day, the big chance was we could ruin San Jose's day, right? <laughs> Uh, which we which we couldn't do, uh, but the chance to really be like vying for those spots is really exciting. Let's talk a little bit about Houston. Um, talk to me about Houston's recent upheaval in the coaching position. Uh, the the sort of the, I think it can be difficult. You look at how successful Wilmer Cabrera was overall in yeah. Houston, uh, and but you can also look to the recent results and and sort of a, a sort of swoon for them. Sometimes it's not. I think that sometimes the, the, the knee-jerk reaction to a coach being let go is they were doing a bad job. 
Um, I think that what's more accurate is that teams make an assessment that says, what does the future look like? Is this going to turn around or is this an opportunity to change? And sometimes, as we, you know, I, this is the point I made about the formation stuff earlier. Sometimes you just need to change. Sure. It's no amount of tinkering, even if you've got the right idea, is going to get you there. Sometimes you just need to sort of throw everything out and start again. It seems like that's the route that, that Houston is taking. But, I mean, what is, what is your take on that, on that upheaval midseason for them? I, I was quite surprised, Stephen. I don't think I'm the only one who said that. I, I was borderline confused, actually, because I thought to myself – um, if you're going to make a change, um, you would assume you would have an immediate answer for that change, would you not? And and the Dynamo haven't. Um, and then rather bizarrely, Wilma Cabrera ended up at Montreal Impact, which um, <laughs> was yeah. arguably even more bizarre. Yes. Um, and by the way, I still think that's an interim tiger. I'm not convinced at all that he'll be there next season. But anyway, sure. that's, again, another debate for another day. Um, what I will say about the Dynamo, Steve, is is now they are under the stewardship of Davey Arno, who I know very well from his time in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And Davey um, has always wanted to do go into coaching. This was the route he wanted to go after playing. And wherever he's gone, he's always been a leader. He certainly was in Kansas City. Then he went to the Impact in their expansion year and then finished his career at DC United um, when he was 34, 35, I believe. And and he's always been a captain. Um, If it wasn't in... um, uh, From an official point of view, he he, he was regardless in the locker room. But to my knowledge, the the last three teams that he played for, he he was captain everywhere. So... um, I actually, this no doubt this is an audition for him, mm-hmm. much as it is for Juarez at uh, Salt Lake as well. Um, but I, I think, I, I do feel um, an element of empathy for, for Deviano because he, he is um, taking over a rather precarious situation because right. I, I don't, I, I'll be interested to, to ask the, the Dynamo hierarchy what they deem success because they started the season with the best starting club history. Right. And, and everyone's thinking, oh, wow, the Dynamo are going to be the real deal this year. And then they fell off. Mm-hmm. Um, not to the point where I thought, right, they need a change in the managerial position. But I look, I guess everybody has their opinion. But um, I, I think Daviano um, is, is potentially going to be the next Dynamo manager regardless if they get to the playoffs or not. I, for what it's worth, I don't think they'll, they'll be in. I think they're too right. far. I think there's a, enough of a gap to suggest that. Um, but um, uh, I'm interested to see what they do um, on on Wednesday because um, they, they will still feel, because you have to when you're in this situation, we've been in this situation before, when, when you're just outside the playoffs and you're only, the, you're only out of it by six or seven points, they will view it all as, as a must win now. For every game for them is a cup fund, which I guess you could say about everybody in the Western Conference. But um, yeah. Daviano will um, will get them organised. They will be aggressive, um, and and it's a chance for, for for him to really make his mark and and um, perhaps cast his opinion on on how the game should be played. So I'm intrigued to see what what they do. Um, obviously, the the trio up top have have been great. Um, Kyoto's not not a great season, but still been effective from time to time. Elise is very good. I question whether he'll be at the Dynamo next year, mm-hmm. uh, and and someone else in that category is Maromanotas as well. I, I know they turned down a bid. Um, from a, a, a fairly sizable club in Europe. Um, and I just wonder if his head has been turned a little now. So um, we could see a very, very different Dynamo in 2020. But in the, the short term for the Dynamo, they will view this as a must win um, if they are going to have any sort of say in the postseason. But um, 
it's uh, it, it's been a strange one. And 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 I, I guess to answer your, your question, um, I thought it was bizarre to get rid of Cabrera, particularly the timing of it as well, because they were still very much on the outskirts, but they were yeah. still in the conversation. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do long term. But look, for, for me. Um, Daviano should be given the opportunity moving forward. Yeah. Well, and also with the possibility of uh, players like Elise or possibly Monotas, like moving on at different points, brought in uh, a new, a new forward, uh, Chris, Christian Ramirez, Ramirez, a <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, friend of the pod. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Christian Ramirez, uh, you know, obviously this is the first chance for Minnesota United to play um, against a team with Christian Ramirez. Uh you know, we thought maybe it was going to be last week against LAFC, but, um, but it has moved on to Houston now. So, um, you know, I, I spoke to Brent a little bit about that. They've obviously been friends for a long time and uh, remain friends and still play Fortnite against each other, which was, <laughs> I asked Brent about that. And he said, like, I can't, I can't lose to him because <laughs> I'll never hear the end of it when I'm playing Fortnite with him, <laughs> which I loved. Um, you know, it, it brings a little extra, a little extra something to the game, I think. Yeah, it does. And you know what? I'd not even thought of that yet. Um, but, he will score. He will score. Oh, he's yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> if there's one thing he's going to do, it's going to be it's going to score, and he's going to enjoy it. So. Yeah, and look, fair play to him. You know, yeah. you know, he's a human being after all, and um, you know, he he will want to get one over his former club, just as he will when Houston Dynamo end up playing LAFC. I'm sure. So, yeah. um, you know, but yeah, no, no doubt that there's there's deeper meaning for for this club, isn't there? So, um, yeah. yeah, look, he, he will score if if he gets on the field, um, which I think he will at some stage. Um, and uh, look, if he scores, um, well done to him. Um, but I, I think Minnesota United, with, with the way that they're playing at the moment, I think they will probably be just a bit too much sure. for the Dynamo. They have some issues uh, defensively. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what they do at right back because both of their options at right back are now injured now for the season. Um, so yeah. I wonder if they have a little change of shape as well. So we'll wait and see. But yeah. um, look, I, I just think, Steve, that Minnesota United in the end will just have a little too much for the Dynamo. Yeah. Uh, Last thing on Houston, do you think do you think we see a similar starting eleven uh, as we saw against LAFC, given the success, and then given I think Houston obviously not as dangerous as LAFC overall, um, but there's a similarity to how they they like to play. I think in in, in some ways, not with this. I mean, an LAFC likes to take it to you all across the field. Um, Houston, you see different things on the road. They're very counterattacking. You know, like at home, maybe a little less so. But um, but Houston's also a tough place to get a result at any time of the season. Um, it'll maybe be a little cooler there than it was last <laughs> time. But um, but you know, playing that conservative game might might work for for Minnesota United again. Um, you know, do you ride the hot hand? You just say. Mason Toy, go out there and get something for us. I guess he's not there. That's right. Well, see, this is the thing, right? So, <laughs> so um, no, <laughs> no doubt the there. Dynamo will, will play a high press at home, as they always have done. But um, I, I don't know the, uh, the answer to your question, Steve, because there's going to be so many Minnesota United players who are coming back from international right, duty. Exactly, yeah. um, you know, young Gregish, to, to my knowledge, Gregish doesn't, doesn't get back until the Monday from Europe. Yeah. And Toy and uh, Hassani won't be flying until the Tuesday. Right. So, um, yeah. Their availability. I, <laughs> so I just don't know what the lineup's going to look yeah. like. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe, maybe it's a much more reserved lineup and, and we, we approach the game um, like Minnesota did um, at Los Angeles uh, over the weekend. I, I don't know. Um, but look, the good thing is Minnesota United have a, a, um, 
a plethora of, of bodies to, to choose from. Um, I was just looking at, at what I think Minnesota are going to do against Pachuca on Saturday. That's the next thing we're talking about. And just looking at, at, at what I think the starting eleven is going to be. So um, the good thing is Minnesota United have plenty of options. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about Pachuca just a little bit. Um, it really... Probably the headline for this, this is going to be Tomas Chacon's first start, yes. um, which is very exciting. And that's reason enough to go get to the stadium, having seen him a couple times, uh, you know, coming off the bench. Um, obviously young, <laughs> extremely young, born in 2000. Oh, really? Think about that. One. Oh, wow. Yeah. That so, makes me feel very uh, old. <laughs> so old. I just aged like Matt Damon at the end of Save Private Ryan when I heard that. So, um, but he's definitely shown some flashes. Uh, you know, he, he has skill. He has uh, equality um, about him. The, the, the idea of a partnership going forward between him and Mason Toy as 19 and 20 year olds is really kind of exciting. I mean, obviously I don't think either of them is ready for, you know, like you said, being the number one option the entire season, but you know, it's, it's exciting. Nonetheless, uh, we'll likely see, we'll see Wyatt Amsberg. We'll see our friends, Carter, our friend, Carter Manley, um, you yeah. know, Dane St. Clair, yeah. uh, probably would have seen, you know, players, Rasmus Schuler. He's away on international duty. So we're yes. not going to see him. Are there any other, are there any other players to, to watch out for who are in line to play a role in the run up to the playoffs? Obviously with, with international break and players being away, it's not going to be able to be a completely rotated squad, mm. but I assume we'll see uh Mumbai Tarat. He still yep. needs more minutes. Uh, Miguel Ibarra, um, yes. you know, I'm sure he's going to get out there. So, and always a chance, you know, for some of those guys to impress. Is there anybody you're looking out for as you're looking at what could be the starting 11 and, and guys who might be able to make an impression going forward? Um, so, so here, here's what, what I think they're going to do. And, and, and I have no prior knowledge to this at all, but I think it'll be St. Clair in goal. Um, it'll be Manley, Ormsberg, Kalman, and Mowimbe Tarat across mm -hmm. the back line. I think, Martin and Olam will sit. I think it'll be Finlay, Chacon, and Ibarra behind either Rodriguez or Dunlady. I don't know. That that wouldn't surprise me at yeah. all. Yeah, that all seems reasonable. Um, and as I said, I, I could be completely wrong there, but that, that, that's what I would expect because um, I spoke to Adrian about it uh, yesterday and, and he said that, you know, obviously he'd already mentioned that Chacon was going to start. Um there's a couple of players that probably need a couple of more minutes, like like Brent Coleman, to be honest. It wouldn't surprise me if, if he's starting and if he's captain, actually. Mm -hmm. um, Dane St. Clair could do with a couple of, of first-team minutes. I know he's done very well with Ford Madison um, in USL League One over the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, all, all, all the eyeballs will be drawn towards Chacon, won't they? You know? yeah. and, and I think Miguel Ibarra needs, needs some, some minutes as well. He's obviously not, um, not played a lot over the last couple of weeks. Ethan Finlay could probably do with a bit of a run out as well. Um, the, the one I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of, though, Steve, is Mwembe Tarat because the, the, there is real significance for him in this game because he has only got a contract till the end of the year and he really does need to, to now impress. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I thought he did an admirable job at LAFC. Um, and I thought he did okay at, at Kansas City when he made his debut as well. So um, it, it's a really good chance for the coaching staff to have a proper look at him. Sure. Um, and the good thing about him is he, is he can play higher up the field, as we saw. He can play at wing back, as we saw, and he can also play at left back. This will be the first chance we, we probably see him in a left back role, yep. um, which, you know... Um, that doesn't change too much nowadays. Uh, defensively, he'll have a lot more responsibilities, but, you know, with a modern-day fullback, he spends a lot of time high up the field anyway. But, sure. It'll um, be good to see him play. I mean, we talk about with, with Ramon how you see him go 
forward, and then you also see him make bruising tackles in the back, and you sort of yes. see both sides of his game. We haven't really gotten to see that from Mumbai Tarot. I don't think he's he's not. He doesn't seem like he's as physical as Ramon in de, in defense. But you'll get to see him do more stopping and what yeah. he does there in the back, which is well, also yes. you know you want to assess that as well. So. Yes, he's not had the chance to do that yet properly, really. Um, so I'm uh, I'm I'm. My, that's where my eyes will be drawn. Will, will be, you know, uh, can you do enough to to impress the staff and and get another contract for next season? You know, so sure. um, that'll be good. And, and as always, Steve, my eyes um, will focus again on on Wyatt Olmsberg as well. I I think he's um, he's got a terrific future in American soccer ahead yeah. of him. Um, he's done very well for Ford Madison. I actually had a quick chat with him um, at the uh, the U.S. game on Tuesday, and uh, he said he he loves it. He's very much enjoying working with Daryl Shaw the coach of Ford Madison, um, and uh, has learned a lot, uh, has enjoyed playing on a regular basis. Um, and, 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 you know, again, another reason why this partnership with Ford Madison has been so beneficial to, to both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I thought he did uh, did very well against Aston Villa the last time we saw him at Allianz Field. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, he, he's someone who I'm, I'm going to um, enjoy watching and see how he goes up against a, a formidable opposition as well, you know, because... Pachuca are, are no mugs. Um, they're mid-table in Liga MX at the moment and um, in the Apertura season. And um, yeah, look, there's a couple of players that I think have, have got a real opportunity to show the coaching staff um, what they're made of and, and one or two that, that I think could be potentially playing for, for a contract in 2020. Um, but yeah, look, Mwimbe Tarat um, is the one that I'm expecting the most out of during that game for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for joining us for the 73rd Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Saturday, September 7th, a friendly against Liga MX's CF Pachuca that kicks off at 7 p.m. Central Time. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Andrews. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are. Hold up. 